Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Virginia Tech beat Duke 38-31. to It was a gutty, gritty, grimy win, Robbie. How are you feeling tonight? I can't feel can't feel better than I than I do right now. That is a game that we easily could have lost, especially the way it started right at the beginning. So the For sure. Give I'll us a take cheers, the win. Man. Yeah. The cheers. Hopefully this won't be too surprising to anybody, but I have to go with a cheers to Herbert, our transfer, who is an absolute monster. Blackshear was really good in this game and I think is going to have breakouts moving forward, but setting all types of records for Virginia Tech, all-purpose yards, rushing, two games, over 200 yards. It's The list is very long at this point of what he's already accomplished. So a huge cheers to him. And without him, I don't know what the outcome of this game would have been. We'll get into the details of it, but it was absolutely critical. If we didn't have him with the way the pass game looked, we would have been in big trouble. Cheers. Yeah, he is something else. And we're going to get into all that stuff you talked about. But what a unexpected win when after we expected the win. So we, we finished last podcast feeling pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And even if we were going to be down a couple guys, we felt like this was a 10-point-ish margin of victory and beyond. You know, we thought they would cover. And then we got the news that the entire secondary was out. The top seven secondary guys we're out. We're again missing Hamilton. And this time we were also missing Ryan Smith and Tracy Clays. So it was it was very difficult, <laughs> to say the least, to um, to see how the, the secondary was going to play well at all. You started Nadir Thompson, Dorian Strong at corner, and then you had Matheny, the walk-on, playing in place of Diablo. And you had Keonta Jenkins, who you know, has started one game in his career. Right. Those are your four starters. And the backups, uh, you're talking about Hunter Green, DeAndre Banks. These are people no one has heard of. <laughs> you know, unless you you peruse that roster regularly, you have not heard of those two guys. So it was a challenge. The other key players out for the game, obviously still no Waller, no Brian Murray, Chapman, Taylor. Um, I mentioned Diablo and, of course, J.R. Walker. And you also didn't have Tisdale, or Zion DeBose on the line, but most of it was concentrated to that secondary. And I'm actually surprised Tyree Rogers didn't start because he was listed as playing and he's a senior. So I am surprised that he didn't start, but whatever. Uh, We were hurting in the back end. Yeah. And not to mention that we were also missing Ben Hooker uh, in this game. And he was, I think, potentially available. I think he, he was on the sidelines, if I'm correct in, in that assertion. And it was still, I think he just hadn't got enough reps. He's not back up to speed, but that was, that was another person out. It's pretty incredible. Another 21 people out for, for this game. And we can't forget that we're also missing Devin Hunter, who we thought we would have had as our, one of our starting safeties. And so throw that on the list. Like, yes, we're missing, you know, seven guys or whatever, but we're also missing an eighth starter. And that, Caleb you know, Farley. Just, and Caleb Farley, right. It's, and it's obviously that has a very insane. different circumstance, but imagine if we had you know, the full squad back there. It's pretty incredible. Or just like one of them. 
<laughs> yeah. maybe it would have been a little bit better. But regardless, they did get the win, and we're going to break that down shortly. Crawford didn't start again, and it was Jack Tyler this time calling the plays for the defense. He's, again, another coach under 30 who uh, who had to call the plays. So everyone's getting a taste for how this thing works. And Fuente has repeatedly said, like, it's all hands on deck. They've pulled people from personnel department, from recruiting departments to help aid with just getting all the stuff you have to get ready for game day together. Yeah, because when you pull those guys and those coaches off and then put them on playing calling duties, the amount of stuff, and I don't know this and would love to hear it someday from people more intimately familiar with it, there's a ton going on on the sidelines. There's a ton of things that need to do happen during a game just to take care of the players. To take, So you just need bodies out there when you start pulling all of these guys off and putting them into other roles. Yeah, the nice thing is going forward, we should have Hennon Hooker. He was in pads, but he didn't play, and I guess the, the thought was he just wasn't up to speed. He He's only been back with the team for a little over a week, and Fuente felt more comfortable going with Burmeister. I we I think we need Hooker to play to have our best season, uh, and, and we can get into more of that later, but he's a full go now. That's what Fuente has said, so it, it's hard to believe that we wouldn't see him in the next game, even if Burmeister comes in here and there, that I'm assuming we'll see Hooker. And we have Hamilton back this week with the team. Uh, he also said that during the press conference. So we're slowly getting back to whatever sort of full strength we're going to actually have during this season. Yeah. Let's move to the AP poll before we get into the game recap. We're back in the poll. Number 19. There was some upheaval in the rankings with Oklahoma, Texas, UCF, Auburn, all losing. Uh, there were some other lower teams that were ranked that lost that helped push us up but now we have five ACC teams ranked in the top 25 actually four in the top 10 you've got Clemson at one Notre Dame at five Miami at seven and our upcoming opponent UNC at number eight that's it's a little shocking to see that number eight next to UNC's name it's there's a bit of an asterisk on on that number eight right now (laughs) given what's going on I think it was cover three podcast that was joking around today about UNC definitely does not look like the number eight team in the country in any other season. They probably look like a top 20 team and that's, that's about it. But yes, the the startling number is there for this upcoming game. Yeah. And finally, our beers arrived from New Mexico. A listener, Chris Bradley was kind enough to send both me and Robbie a bunch of beers each. He sent them cold We were freezer packs in the beers. We've gotten a lot of nice shipments over the years. That that was, one, expensive because he shipped it to both of us. And two, the added extra of shipping them cold so they're basically ready to drink when they arrived was very impressive. Chris, we thank you so much. I'm drinking one right now. I'm going to talk about it shortly. I know Robbie's got a couple on his end too. Uh, But, yeah, I haven't had many beers from New Mexico, if ever. I've been out to the West Coast, and I've been to the Grand Canyon, but I'm not sure I've ever had any of these New Mexican beers. So uh, I'm excited, man. And you know he takes it seriously because he wanted to ship them cold just so if we're going to judge the New Mexico beer scene that he was talking about, he wants to make sure that it's it's good. And a couple of these are fresh IPAs, so they had to be cold. When my wife told me that they arrived, she sent me a picture she said they arrived cold, and I thought she was mistaken, and she was definitely not. It's pretty incredible. 
<laughs> yeah, thanks again, Chris. All right, let's hop into the game recap. This game got off to a much slower start than last week's. Belmar started the sack party this time, forcing a three and out on Duke on their first drive. Then we had a three and out of our own, punted, and then Duke punted in response, and that's when disaster struck. Tavion misjudged the punt. He muffed it. It bounced into the end zone after hitting several players, and Duke recovered for the touchdown. It was absolutely brutal, and this was on the heels of me praising Tavion on our last podcast, so particularly painful for me. We even got the tweet saying, is there a two-deep jinx? I tried to prevent it. I knocked, I literally, my desk is on wood. I tried to knock on wood. It didn't help. <laughs> it was, it was brutal and it was just too deep for him. It, and it happened on a few different punts throughout the game, but it, and it went right off his hands and then it just got kicked around and then they got in the end zone and I was, I was, I was hurting at that moment. Yeah, and that's right after, you know, pretty much after we got the news that seven of our DBs are out. So the last thing we need is for them to get a special teams touchdown and they start the game to go up 7-0 on a fluky play like that. I wasn't feeling too good. But a couple of drives later, our break came. Matheny made the interception on the tip ball. We take it down the field with the help of a penalty and some really great grabs, scoring on the touchdown pass to Mitchell. We added a field goal after a 16-play drive in the second quarter to make it 10-7 at the half. Things really picked up in the second half, though. Duke put together a long drive early in the third to go up 14-10, scoring on the touchdown by Jackson. On the following kickoff, Herbert brought it back 83 yards to the Duke 16. It looked like he may have gotten in at first, uh, but it took six plays, but we finally punched in on the run by Burmeister. That response was key. It was absolutely, and that run down the left-hand side was beautiful to watch. I, I really wished for him that he was able to stay in. He just stepped out, but that run, on top of everything else he did that day, was probably yeah. the culmination of uh, a, a beautiful performance by him. We follow that up with another TD drive, this time going 95 yards in five plays. So this is like the polar opposite of going 16 yards in, in six plays, again scoring on a run by Burmeister. So now it's 24-14 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. I was starting to feel more comfortable, but Duke got a big play and scored a quick touchdown on the pass to Noah Gray to make it 24-21. to 21. We responded with a TD, then they responded with a TD. It was 31-28. to 28. And late in the fourth, we're down inside Duke's red zone. It looks like we're going to seal the game. And we have the mesh point miscue. A fumble by Burmeister and Duke recovered. I, I thought, like, that was it. I was like, they're going to take this down the field and score on us. The hokey clouds that we always see kind of rolling in during these sorts of situations that always feel like, as a fan, don't go our way. Everybody thinks that. But I was really, really worried. Yeah. However, we forced the absolutely huge three and out, get the ball back, and Herbert did his thing. Four straight handoffs, six yards, seven yards, zero yards, 60-yard touchdown. That's it, it, was, it was absolutely amazing, and the way he just slips right through there and scores that touchdown was so awesome. Duke added the field goal, but it was over. 38-31, to 31, Hokies win. So, Robbie, I want to get your reaction, but I want to give you my story of the game. I thought it was our resilience dealing with the losses of the players and obviously the excellence of Khalil Herbert. And I know I did the cheers to Herbert, and we're going to talk a lot about you know some of the records that he set, but then I have to also give it to the team. Talk about resilience. The players being out, 
you could easily see that game with either the muff punt or the fumble starting to go the other direction. Those just seem like times that you could really let things slip away, especially when you're up against so much adversity. And the team just kept churning it out, whether it was on big defensive stops on, and, and we'll get into this, but Duke had some momentum at some certain portions, and especially in that second half where I was really starting to get worried, but just to put your head down and keep playing and, it was it was pretty crazy, and the way that Fuente was talking about having a Navy SEAL, you know, come talk to the team during I think it was the off season that they did it right towards leading up to the season about just make it to breakfast, just make it to lunch, just take it one play at a time. Really showed up. It wasn't just coach speak. You could really see it with the players sticking it out to the end. I just can't believe if you go over the names you 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 mentioned Farley it's Hooker Farley Waller Diablo Hunter Tisdale Chapman Murray Walker you give up a special teams TD you turn it over three times and we win a game on the road and it wasn't against an FCS team it wasn't against Little Sisters of the Poor it was against a conference opponent against a coach who specializes in offense and it, I just I cannot believe we won that game really because it just felt like we were going to lose it. Just the the way the afternoon was unfolding, it just felt like we were going to lose the game. But you know what? That's what good teams do. And when you have a playmaker like Khalil Herbert, you can overcome that and win a game like that. I think so. And I know he caught some heat just for the past game, but Burmeister had some really key runs too at really difficult times when I thought the pocket was about to collapse on him he would scurry out for one of those runs on the outside and and make something where I really didn't think there was much to. So we'll talk about the passing and, and his efficiency in that game. There's a couple stats that I think are pretty important to notice and where the balls were actually kind of thrown during the game. But he, he did a good amount with his legs to, to hold this thing together as well. No doubt. Overall, we had 324 rushing yards. That's just the fourth time we've gone over 300 yards rushing in ACC play. The third time was last week, 6.5 yards per carry. Herbert had 207 himself. He's the number one rusher in the country at 155 yards per game, and he's averaging 12 and a half yards per carry. He's the first running back to go back-to-back 100-yard games under Fuente. So that, I thought, was a very cool note. Uh, it's been mentioned a couple places. I got mine from Andy Bitter. And then Blackshear, he added on 59 yards of his own on 15 carries, and it seems like he's getting closer and closer to being that playmaker they talk so much about in camp. Yeah, I think he he looks like a powerful runner, and the designs for some of his were... The blocking was maybe not as efficient downfield when he was running versus when Herbert was running. The fact is, is that both of those guys are based on my read and what I saw during those games, really exceptional talent. So I think I couldn't be happier where the run game stands. Obviously, that's the case. But just the talent that I see with those two is exceptional. You can't be happier because it's number one. (laughs) It's the number one team in yards per rush in the country seven yards per attempt unbelievable when you consider the years and years of getting under four yards per attempt for the year now that seven will go down we all know that yeah but it's in a great position to be five for the year 
uh, four and a half at least. We, I mean, I, I don't even know the last time we were at four and a half. Might be that 2011 season with David Wilson. So it's it's incredible. Uh, it's amazing, awesome, whatever you want to say, whatever adjective. It's hard to believe, and I love it so much. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. What he did in that BC game, that was not a one-off I'm talking about last year for Kansas mm-hmm. that when he when he went nuts against them right after we lost to BC. Right. Uh we're like, wow, that guy's really good. And then we got that guy. And he's doing it two weeks in a row now. Just every time he touches the ball, it's incredible. Let's move to Burmeister. You you mentioned the thing about some of his struggles. He's not a very good passer right now. His QBR through two weeks is awful it's 39.1 that's 12th in the conference it's below guys like chase bryce who we just went up against and hockman who we beat the crap out of in week one his pass rating is 110 he's got three total touchdowns two of those came on the ground the bad interception from last game and the bad fumble he's only completing 36 percent of his pass he only completed 36 percent of his passes against duke and that that's not good um how do you see his value in this offense because i do have a counter after you go i don't know if it's a counter because we may end up agreeing here and i'll bring out a couple stats just so people that i alluded to earlier understand so 88 percent of his passes were beyond the line of scrimmage so he was not playing safe kind of screens those sorts of things that usually juice up your numbers and help with hopefully what are some good yards after catch by your receivers his his average attempt, attempt distance on all of his passes was 14 and a half yards based on the stats that I run wow, every week long. watching. Very long. I, the, the only highest in the five years that I've been doing this were, I think I think it was the Hendon Hooker game where he was 16 yards uh, versus Notre Dame. That was last year. And that's that's it. It, it. Or and then I guess one time Gerard Evans was a sixteen point six in five years of playing that I've been doing all of these stats. So one, we all saw that there was a little bit of shakiness in the passes. There was a little bit of talk even during the telecast about his arm strength and hoping to see some more of that. But we were those are tough throws that he was having to try and make deep down the field. However, and maybe my counter to that point is I, I think that helps set up the run game really well. I think that really pushed people back on their heels that allowed Herbert to really run off some some really long plays by pushing the defensive backs and, and potentially even the linebackers back a little bit. And maybe that's part of the scheme. I'm not smart enough to know that, but it feels like there is an approach there that they're doing on purpose because the way he was throwing it, why would you keep going deep if it wasn't working with a ton of success? I don't know. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely dead on with the length of the passes. That wasn't doing him any favors from a completion percentage standpoint or you know, passer rating standpoint. And the other thing that QBR can't account for is the read option game. If you remember back to Willis's numbers, he always had pretty solid QBR numbers, but you'd watch him and you're like, he's screwing up that play. He's screwing up that play. And on the flip side, Burmeister is excellent in the read option. He makes the decision. The timing of it is good. And that really can't be accounted for. So even when he's passing poorly, 
he still has a net positive because we're rushing for 300 yards a game when he started games. So he's doing something right. And he's a good rusher in his own right. He scored two touchdowns in this game. So I, I yeah, he's not a good passer. And going forward, I, I've said I want Hooker to be there because I want the passing advantage because Hooker's also quite good in the read option game. Right. But that's what's not coming up in Burmeister's numbers. He is not uh, just a completely useless quarterback out there, even when he completes 9 of 25 or whatever the heck it was. Uh, He's not going to set the world on fire passing the ball, but that is okay for right now. When we get to Sam Howell and we get to, you know, playing Pitt and you need need to up your game a little bit, we're going to need Hendon Hooker. But he managed the game. Uh, he almost screwed it up with some turnovers, and I, you know Fuente doesn't like that. I, I think that's all the more reason we're going to see Hooker next week. But it wasn't as bad, I think, as the numbers would say. Yeah, he definitely threw some dangerous passes and got away with them as well. A couple of them that could have been picked off. But your point about the read option is spot on. There, There's a couple glitches here and there, but more often than not, the vast majority of the time, he's making the right decision on whether to hand it off or pull it. And it it saved us in a number of different occasions for both decisions, whether he made the right decision on to hand it off or whether to pull it back. So I think Burmeister had a lot to do in these first two games with the success of Herbert and not to take anything away from him, but I do think they played well off of each other. Yeah. Only nine catches for the receivers in this one. Robinson did step up after his mistake. He made two really nice plays down the field. The one grab on the sideline was sensational. Uh, He finished with 85 yards. Mitchell had three receptions on the touchdown, and that touchdown grab was really, really nice from a tight end especially. Such a – almost like one-handed at first, then he got his second hand on the ball. Trey, three for 47, and even Nick Gallo got in the action added a reception. The wide receiver blocking, something you mentioned, I think, earlier, that was that effort was there all day and was fantastic down the field. Absolutely. Robinson had some great blocks. Mitchell had some. My primary Caleb concern, Smith. Caleb Smith, yeah, absolutely. And my primary concern, well, one, the offensive line had another nice day. They started slower this game, but they have been everything that we talked about and, and more. So a ton of credit to them helping out the run game and their pass protection was relatively good. There were some scrambles Burmeister had to make, but that defensive front for Duke is really good. Those two defensive linemen are really exceptional. I think they're ranked both one and two in QB pressures through the beginning part of the season. Going into the game, they definitely were, and and maybe even afterwards too. But yeah, that was a much stiffer test for our O-line. I'm just worried about the wide receivers at this point. So I went through the stats today. Mitchell's gotten 13 uh, attempts to to him. Robinson, 13. Then six for Turner. Herbert's had three. That depth of the wide receiving core that Fuente likes to talk about is a part of his offense hasn't shown up yet. Granted, that's also part of the reason that the pass attack hasn't been, been good and the passes haven't been... To, really up to snuff other than some some really nice passes during this game and a few in the last one. But that really needs to start to shine here as Hooker comes back in, I'm assuming, and starts and, this And week. it will. It's a, it's a 
chicken and the egg thing. You know, you need the quarterback to get to, to the receivers, and you need good receivers to be open for the quarterback to throw to them, so on and so forth. And yeah, it's only going to be Robinson, Turner, the occasional Caleb Smith, Mitchell. I, I, we're not going to see like a lot, a lot of depth of wide receiver this year because the run game is so good. We shouldn't have to rely on throwing it 39 times like Chase Bryce did in this game. That's right. So the turnovers killed us, though. I mean, we had two offensive, the one special teams. That's very uncharacteristic, and I never would have thought we would have beaten Duke by two turnovers in this game. They only had one turnover, and we had three. Like, I didn't expect that. I I thought we'd take better care of the football in this one. Our third down numbers were better in this game, 7 of 15 on third down. And that's, you know, as opposed to Duke as well, because they really struggled on third down. So that was a, a big key in this game. Yeah, they went five for 17, I think, on third down. So credit to the defense in that game. Duke also had, uncharacteristic to Cutcliffe, a lot of penalties in this game at really bad moments for them that helped us out. It wasn't just even the number of penalties for them. They were just really bad timing for them. We can't bank on that happening every game. So that, that helped as well. And... The defense, Belmar had three sacks in this game, came out, (laughs) played really well. Ashby had a bunch of tackles. I know it wasn't the greatest defensive performance of all time, but given how much depth we were missing, I couldn't have asked for more. And by the end of the game, I said this last week, those guys were gassed. They were really, really tired at, at the end of the game. And it's not their fault. It's not conditioning. It's just the depth that we don't have right now. Yeah. It didn't look like a stellar performance on paper, but it was excellent. When you consider we started two true freshmen to walk on in secondary, only 24 of the points were their fault also. And they got really important stops. Like I said about the third downs, uh, 12 tackles for loss and seven total sacks. That is outstanding. Most of that from the D line. And so we've already seen, Potentially the dividends from Tap and Tierlink taking place here. Uh, Belmar looks like a totally new guy. I, I, he had a nice matchup. I think that Duke offensive lineman is that he was facing most of the day is has been struggling, but whatever. He got he got to the QB. Ashby had ten tackles and a sack, and definitely looked like one of those guys that was gassed at, at different points in this game. He was huffing and puffing. Connor had eight. And those are the names you would expect to lead the way in tackles. But third was Matheny, who had the nice interception. He had seven tackles, two tackles for loss. So I know everyone on the team is super happy for that guy because in a normal year, under normal circumstances, he would never play. He, he he hasn't played. So kudos to him. He came up big. He stepped up when he needed to step up and had a great day. Uh, you mentioned Belmar. Barno had two sacks. Pollard added a sack at the end that which was which was clutch, and Hewitt I thought had a really nice day. Uh, one one point five tackles for loss, but that doesn't really like show everything that he did. No, he causes a lot of disruption uh, up front, so that it doesn't show up necessarily in the stat line. But you can tell he is a core portion of that defense. There's no doubt whether it's showing up on a stat line or not. I think is irrelevant because. I think he's critical to what we're doing on that side of the ball. Yeah, so we're lucky to have faced two of the worst QBs in the conference. Probably the worst two Q- 
QBs we're going to face all year, I think. I mean, even Liberty might have a better quarterback than the two guys we faced. I think that's probably a fair assessment. I am extremely concerned about what's going to happen when we preview and talk about and watch this UNC game with the new defense and what's going to happen with the linebackers, that new pressure that we're trying to put up front, which has worked really well so far. But I feel as though there are some gaps that UNC started to exploit in that second half in kind of that middle, you know, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage area that yeah, uh, somebody like Sam Howell is probably going to be able to take advantage of. Yeah. This game was all about getting the W, though, and that became especially clear after the special teams blunder. It was one of those just survive the day. It was one of those. We were texting about it. It's like, I don't care what it takes. Win by one point, but we got to get this win because we're up against it right now, and you can't lose this Duke game. And they pulled it off. And like I said earlier, that's what good teams do. So I was extremely happy about that. Uh, If you're ready to move on, I think we can take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Uh, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer is located right where 270 and 370 meet in Gaithersburg. Beautiful setup. Uh, A good friend of the podcast runs the place. And uh, we, we did our podcast in there a couple years ago. Great beers on tap. Great selection indoor outdoor wherever you want to sit and hang you can hang and then dominion right on west broad in the heart of northern virginia where so many of our listeners live and it's funny actually arash said in the store he's noticed people rolling in with the virginia tech gear lately way more than than normal so thank you for going to these two stores if you have been hearing about them on here uh he's been noticing you and if you see the beautiful persian man at the downtown crown <laughs> location make sure to say hello you know we heard about you on the podcast and just wanted to say what's up uh and actually this when i'm coming back from richmond this weekend i was thinking to stop and buy dominion because it's very close to the beltway it's close to 66 and so I was thinking of hopping off and maybe going for for a beer or two on my way home. I don't know if you can make it or not, but uh, I might pick up some beer and, and have one myself while I'm sitting there. Give me a heads up and I will be there. Okay. Hopefully buddy. we can see but him yeah. there as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, so Downtown Crown Wine and Beer. Find them on Instagram. Same for Dominion. They're both on Twitter. They, they consistently are great with the social media. Put out all the new arrivals that they get and great pictures. It makes you very thirsty whenever you see them. So follow them there. And uh, yeah, Robbie, I want to know what you're drinking right now. So as you mentioned, we got sent some beers from New Mexico. So the beer that I'm having is uh, Cumbre Brewing Company. It's an elevated IPA. It's 7.2%. Looks like they've won a bunch of awards. Uh, Gold medal winner in 2011, Great American Beer Festival. It's American style IPA. It's one of those drink me now, which is why it's awesome that it became in a or came to us in a refrigeration pack because it kept it nice and fresh. This one, it's delicious. It's right up my alley. It's a little maltier than the typical IPAs that I usually go for, but I feel like it's starting to get a little chillier outside. It's time to start to make that transition, so it fits perfectly with with what I want to be drinking as I move into some of the colder autumn months here. It's uh, Cumbre Brewing Company's Elevated IPA. Special thanks to Chris for sending them over to us. 
Yeah, it was very cool. He sent us, I think he sent us the same seven beers each. So we'll be able to compare them too. But for the purpose of the podcast, we wanted to do four different beers tonight. So I am having two different Oktoberfests that Chris sent over. This first one is called the October Forest. It's from Second Street Brewery, brewed in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 5.4% alcohol, just 24 IBUs. It's an amber lager, and it very much is that, just by looking at it. It is rich, rich amber color. Definitely not too malty. It's not as as crisp, I would say, as some of the Germans, but it is extremely drinkable, extremely tasty. The can is beautiful, too. I'm kind of holding it up for Robbie. Oh, yeah, here. that's nice. Um, but, yeah, I really like this one. Chris, thanks for sending me. I'm, you know I'm a big fan of the Oktoberfest and consider myself a bit of a connoisseur, and I do really enjoy this one. So we're off to a good start tonight. I like it. That's perfect. So before we get into this UNC matchup that I'm extremely excited about, I did want to go over some of the the statistics we were kind of talking about earlier. If you go to offensive yards per play, the Hokies are sixth right now in the country. We're at 7.38 yards per play through two games. And if the season ended today, which it obviously is not, this would be a Virginia Tech record for yards per game at 491. How about that? That's impressive. I don't know where you got that stat from, but I, I'm, I'm glad that the season's not ending today. But that's <laughs> yeah. I went to I went to HokieSports.com and they had you can go to the record book, and I I was trying to find the highest bef- that we've had in history, and right now it just says 2020. So because <laughs> so it's it's up to date. It says like VT record yards in a like per game in a season it says 2020. So. Um, It'll change. I think 2016 was the record with Gerard Evans and that prolific offense. But the other thing I saw that was interesting was Herbert's Heisman odds are 33 to 1 right now. How about that? That's pretty incredible. I figured, <laughs> I figured it would be a few more weeks before they started to really get get up there, but that's that's incredible. When you're the number one rusher in yards per game. I guess you just pop on the list somewhere. You, you've got to. I, I think somebody brought up uh, his stats versus some of the the players that have come before him in prior years, and it's pretty incredible in terms of all-purpose yards what he's doing right now. Yeah, that 357 all-purpose. Uh, I wonder how long we'll use him in the kickoff game if you find that he's a key cog to your offense if you'd rather use someone else doing that. However, he's so good at it. It's hard. It's hard not to do like, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, when he was going for Heisman, he was doing the returns. He was doing rushing. He was catching a lot of passes and they didn't spare him. He just was that good. And they used him constantly. It really does help with the field position that he's been putting us in. It's, it's helping the offense just in what he's been able to do there as well. So it would be tough to pull that out because I think it does have a meaningful impact on the game, even though he's great in what he's been doing in the running back position. Defensively, eighth in tackles for loss per game at 9.5 a game and first in the country in sacks per game at six and a half. Uh, Yes, it is early, but NC State doesn't have a bad offensive line. Duke's offensive line isn't strong, and, and they drop back a bunch in that game. But still, first is pretty good. <laughs> That's probably the one stat that during the offseason, as we previewed this season, ne- neither of us ever would have projected us to be, no. even if it was a one-game sample size. Forget multiple-game sample size. So 
hats off to what they're doing and that new tier like defensive line strategies seem to pay off pretty pretty good dividends early on and despite not having hunter farley or waller for either of the two games uh, we are 18th in opposing passer rating that that may be more of a reflection of the two quarterbacks that i mentioned but still to be top 20 in opposing passer rating when your secondary has been depleted i'll take it and depleted Let's is get just being, is being nice about what's been happening to, to us right now. It's pretty outrageous. Yeah. UNC, noon on ABC this Saturday. They're coached by Mac Brown. He's in year two, and he's got them excited. He's got the recruiting going. He's got everyone hyped up. Every, every analyst, every media type is talking about Sam Howell. They've been doing it all summer. And this is coming off a seven and six year where they had a lot of close losses. They could have had a better record, but they were so bad the year before, were so ravaged by injuries and had a bad coach in Larry Fedora that a 7-6 and six year really did hype them up. They were 4-4 four and four in the ACC, but we did beat them in that six-overtime classic. That was actually when I was on my honeymoon, and you recapped that game with our buddy Devin. The longest, what is it? The longest ACC game ever, I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Is what the <laughs> stat ended up being. So we had to sub somebody in for it, but there's fond memories of us pulling that one out. Yeah, it was 85 degrees and sunny in Hawaii. And I hold up my you know brand new wife in a bar and she, she took it like a champ. She just drank bloody Mary's and we both celebrated the victory after four or five hours, however long it was in a dark bar in the morning in Hawaii. Um, all right. So over the summer, I said, they got tons of hype. They got 10 starters back on offense, Sam Howell, you know, everyone just wants to talk about him. They're two and oh this year. And it doesn't seem like they're quite as ready for prime time as everyone thought. I would agree with that. You got to level set expectations, which I think we did a pretty good job. I think Sam Howell's a really good quarterback. I think they have a lot of great players that we'll get into here. They've been recruiting like crazy, and some of that's to the detriment of Virginia Tech, honestly, some of the players that they've been able to to bring in. But I think that they are playing under the hype level but have been adequate, especially they had some players out here and there Everybody's dealing with weird stuff. We're seeing mm-hmm. what's happening with Oklahoma. We see Texas, UCF, even the the national champions from two years ago, <laughs> even went down against Tulsa this week. So there's a, a lot that's going to happen week in, week out that you got to look at everything and kind of, you know, use a grain of salt with uh, what you're seeing on the field. Yeah. And even though they didn't pulverize Syracuse or BC, like a lot of people thought, their S&P is still 11th. So that was like, of all the things I looked at reading about this team, you know, I was like, ah, they beat two bad teams and it's a lot of hype. They're still 11th in S&P plus. And so that's a bit of a concern. They're 10th on offense and 37th on defense. And that 37 number going into last week, Duke was 38. So the quality of defense is pretty comparable to what we just saw, but in different places, I guess, because... Duke's D-line was very good. UNC's is a little bit more thin. Let's start talking about their offense. Do you want to begin with the quarterback? Yeah, so Sam Howell, he's been, the best I could characterize it, he's played, 
He's played good, not great. He's 39 for 60, 65% completion percentage, but it's with three TDs and three interceptions, which is uncharacteristic for what you would expect from a guy like him. So that gives me a little bit of pause because I feel like that his talent is going to end up developing throughout the season. It already developed last season, but get better if that if that makes sense, at least with respect to the TD to interception ratio. 65% completion percentage is it's good. It's not blowing the world away, but it, it hasn't been everything that uh, the hype machine had pumped up during the offseason, at least at this point in the season. Yeah, he so he was 38 TDs to 7 INTs last year. And he's at three and three right now. So the ratio is way off. You would have thought maybe coming in after an off season of being in the system, he would be even better. And his QBR is down 10 points. His passer rating is down. None of his numbers are particularly good. And the two defenses he's faced are 77th and 69th in the SP+. So it's he has not gone up against juggernauts on the defensive side of the football and he struggled. There have been flashes. There's been glimpses, like the end of the Syracuse game and the beginning of the BC game. Like they were on fire, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been all good for Sam Howell. What they always talk about going with the quarterback with UNC is this bevy of playmakers. They got a really good two headed monster at running back with Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Williams was 933 yards last year. Carter went over 1,000. So they almost had two 1,000 yard backs. And Javante, uh, he's he's dangerous running and passing. I guess Carter has a lot of catches too. They like to dump it off a lot, it seems like. Yeah, Javante Williams has 25 carries, 114 yards, but he's got four TDs. Michael Carter has 23 for almost just shy of 200 yards. I think they were overlooked a lot because of the Sam Howell hype. I know people have talked about all of the skill talent, but... I don't think we saw from Duke what those two running backs for them are capable of from a talent perspective. And if that shows up this weekend with Williams and Carter, we're going to have our hands full because they are they are really good. It's a two-headed monster, as you said. And in the wide receiving core, there's three guys. There's Dimey Brown, Daz Newsom, who's killed us, yep. and uh, Bo Corrales as well, who's a senior. And Daz Newsom and Dynami Brown went over 1,000 last year. Uh, Daz had 72 receptions. He's off to a little bit of a slower start. Uh, only three catches for 31 yards so far. But Brown is 10 receptions for 154. Corral is 7 for 82. Even the freshman, Caffrey Brown, he's he's got five receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. They've got weapons to throw to. Uh, their tight end hasn't factored in much yet, but he does have a touchdown. Uh, the nice thing about UNC is the offensive line isn't as strong as it was last year. They've already sacked Sam Howell six times, and they're, what is it, 50th in sacks allowed, 44th in TFL allowed per game. It's a mediocre at best O-line. So despite there being explosive potential, I like the matchup of our D-line going up against this offensive line. Yeah, and... I know this is surprising. I think we've gotten more comfort from what the D-line has looked like in these first two games. So what looked like an area of concern, you and I went back and forth on whether it was DT or D-end was going to be more concerning and who's going to end up being better equipped to, to, to play this year. 
in either case, it's looking a lot better. And I think this is a real opportunity for us. And we have to take advantage of it because if we let Sam Howell sit back there and use that skill talent on the outside, they they throw to Javante Williams, as you mentioned. He has three receptions for almost 80 yards as well. They have a lot of different ways that they can attack you. If he can just sit back there and pick us off, that's that's going to be trouble in my mind. So I do think that we're going to need that D line getting getting pass pressure. It's key. It's absolutely key. And that it was last week, and it's going to be even more so this week. If you go to their defense, that's where the surprises really start to come. They're first of seventy four teams in yards per play. Number one in defensive yards per play. I don't really know how that's possible. <laughs> They're only given up 108 rushing yards, and that includes a game against Boston College, who traditionally has a good offensive line and good running backs, and they held them down. They're third nationally in sacks per game, getting five a game. They had seven versus Syracuse. Now, Syracuse, they, they, their offensive line's atrocious, and they I think all three of to, uh, Syracuse's running backs opted out, their top three running backs or something like that. So yeah. that wasn't a great matchup, but hey – we just played Duke, and that could prove to be equally as poor as Syracuse. So they're doing something right on the on the defense, and particularly at their linebacking core. Yeah, and it was one of those jokes that we always make. Chaz Surratt entering his 15th season with UNC, it feels like. I've been saying <laughs> that name for that long. But he's leading the team in tackles. He's got three sacks. Really, really good. Tomon Fox has another two sacks for them. The linebackers are really good for this team. And the defensive backs, I think, are are pretty good as well. They have some athletes in the back. Don Chapman has played pretty well. It's it's a tough defense and not one that I really expected coming into to this season. I think they held BC to like 40 yards on the ground that or something along those lines. It that that never happens. That, that is no, the, no. the the antithesis of what BC has done historically. Obviously, they're under a new coach and, and things like that, but it's crazy. Yeah, Coming into the year, UNC was bringing back seven starters on the defense, but they had several opt-outs, including free safety G.J. Ford. Miles Wolfark was ruled academically ineligible after the first game, and that was a huge loss. Bryce Watts, the transfer from VT, he opted out. Uh, and they also lost Ross, Dorn, Crawford, and Strobridge to graduation. So five of their top seven tacklers were gone coming into 2020. So this, what they're doing is is really impressive. Uh, I think they've run like a 3-3-5 like NC State because you look at their, their D-line numbers and it's really Tamari Fox and not a whole lot else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the big nose in, in Voasek, but... Tamari Fox has seven solo tackles, three TFL, and two sacks. They're getting it done, I think, at that linebacking core. And you talked about Surratt. Uh, Taman Fox, the brother of Tamari, he's a beast. 6'3", 255, four and a half tackles for loss already. Jeremiah Gemmel, he tied for second on the team in tackles, I think, last year and again this year. Two tackles for loss for him. Tons of backups. Hopper, Rucker, Asante, that kid we, we – recruited a bunch and Jackson. So they got guys they can throw in back there. The DBs I think are the most interesting Mm -hmm. because you see, what is it? Cameron Kelly, another guy that we we wanted. Um, Tony Grimes, another guy we wanted. They're talented, but they're very young uh, because of the opt-outs, because of the injuries. Patrice Renee, who we've heard that name for a long time. He tore his ACL last year. He played week one 
but he didn't participate in last week's game. I don't know what the status of him is going to be, but they're running a lot of sophomores out there and Storm Duck and McMichael, Trey Morrison, and you mentioned Chapman too. So I think they're susceptible in the back, but what you look at the numbers they're putting up against these first two opponents and you get a little nervous. I think we're going to be a lot more effective than the first two teams they played. I think that's probably right, but they... They've recruited really well. We talked about a lot of the people that we wanted for Virginia Tech that they yeah. ended up getting. And things have that that UNC recruiting pipeline has started to go Mac Brown's way and not so much up to, to Blacksburg any longer. So they have a lot of bodies. They are young, but listen, talk about playing a young defensive backcourt. Look at what we just did this past this <laughs> yeah. past week. Yeah, uh, it would be nice to have Tony Grimes to to throw out there as a five star. That's right. So I do think they have really stellar athletes on this this defense. They are a little bit young and they are susceptible to I think what is potentially a more mature, experienced um, like Turner and I think Robinson even after last year, Mitchell after last year. I think there there are some threats that we can pose to those defensive backs that maybe they're, they're not ready for and they certainly didn't see against BC or against Syracuse. Yeah. On special teams, they've got a senior kicker. It's always a good thing. And Michael Carter and Daz Newsom are their returners. Yeah. So there, there is some potential for big plays in, in the special teams area as well. Let's get to, um, do you want to take a beer break before we do our overall thoughts? Yeah, we can do that. What are you having over there? I'm drinking another another October. It's from that first brewery that you had, La Cumbre yeah. Brewing Company. The Oktoberfest Lager, simple. This one is even more red in color. Like take the amber, ratchet it up a little bit. It's almost like a red lager. I think I like it better than the October Forest. This one is is very tasty. And I, I've kind of talked about the German style and the American style. These both I would say are more of an American style, the the Sam Adams style of Oktoberfest uh, with the color and the, the consistency of the taste. But I very much enjoyed both of them. So no complaints on my end. What are you drinking? So I'm drinking the Cholo Stout from Marble. I believe it's Marble Brewing Company. It just says Marble on the front. It's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is really delicious. It's actually very... Try not to think that just because it's coming from New Mexico, it tastes that much different, but it's got a unique flavor to it for a stout. Um, it's it's hard to put my finger on exactly what's in there, and they don't have it on the, the can, but I guess they say that it's kind of roasted malts, but then a pop of bright uh, Pacific Northwest hops is what they, they brewed it with, and it's it's nice. It does have kind of that darker stout flavor to it, but you can actually taste that little pop of the hops in there as well which is a little bit unique and i don't feel like we're getting as much stuff like this on the east coast i feel like the east coast right now is very flooded with bourbon barrels and you know whiskeys heck rum stouts they're making everything that are like really heavy very liquor based uh stouts so this is kind of a more pure stout in my mind um with a little mix of of kind of a hop freshness to it so i really like it it's, it's that sounds good. interesting i can't wait to try it because yeah. it's sitting in my fridge not too far away i have to get to that <laughs> that's right 
with the stouts, I do enjoy a bourbon barrel stout here and there or porter or whatever it is, but sometimes it's too much for me. So like I, I really like they really can be powerful. You take that yeah. first sip and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, or you have like yeah, you have I, like two I, or three of them great. and you're like TKO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know because some of them are like 11, 12 percent. So overall, Robbie, do you want to go first with your thoughts? Or do you want me to start? Uh, I want you to start. I think I started last time. So why okay. don't you give us the your rundown, and then I'll feed off that. Well, they're very explosive on offense, or at least they have the ability to be, and it just hasn't quite clicked all the way. We've seen some glimpses. I'm worried about the secondary. I think that goes without saying. Hopefully, if we can get two guys back, even one guy back, like a key guy in the secondary, I think it would make a huge difference. And even with the great linebacking core, I think they have, I really do think it's, it's borderline great. It's a very good linebacking group. They have hopefully this D line of them can be exposed by our offensive line and the running backs. I think we run and we run a lot. Yeah, that that would be the hope. Uh, I'm a little bit worried, not worried because I know their upside and their talent, but the the linebackers for us, which we, I think unequivocally said was going to be the strength of our defense thus far, have you know no slight on them, but left a little bit something to be desired, which makes me a little bit worried in going into this game against UNC. Obviously, the the DBs, but for everything that was thrown at them last week, I think our DBs really performed exceptionally given everything that, that could have been they did. a problem they did. there. It really could have been tough on, on offense. You know what I'm, I'm most worried about and not to make everything too negative is what if the run game starts to get stymied a little bit? What if they do come out and start to stop the run and we do have to pivot to the pass or let's say UNC gets off to a hot start and starts putting up points and we we start having to get into uh, more of a high-scoring game. And that's not to say the last week wasn't 38-31s, relatively high-scoring. But if we get into that sort of situation and there's just good blocking on their side, they get some pressure, they're able to stop people at the line of scrimmage and we start getting behind the chains... What does that look like when we may have to transition to the pass game? Because Hooker's coming in, potentially, but I think we all believe that he's going to be the starter. This is his first game. This is going to be his first game out. The wide receivers, I think, and tight ends and Mitchell have done really well thus far. But if we want to step up and start playing games like we're going to have to here soon with the teams like UNC, teams like Miami, and eventually, you know, Clemson, those we really need to excel at that portion and have a balanced attack as much fun as it is to see us in this run game that we've been begging for for as long as we've been doing this podcast. I just want to see the past game and just get comfort that we can rely on it if necessary. Two things. One, yes, I don't think we can win the game without Hooker playing and playing well. If Braxton Burmeister has to start and play the whole time, I don't think we can win the game because I think we're going to have to go through the air at times. But the run game is one of those things that you saw it against Duke where over the course of the game, it got better. 
Like we've rushed for a lot more yards in the second half than we did in the first half because we wore them out. And that's the thing about this season is that it's not just our defensive line and linebackers that are getting gassed at the end of games. People are out of shape because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that if it doesn't look good early rushing, it will even, and it will get better. It'll, will be stronger throughout the game and wear them out. But what you said about them getting up 14 points or 17 points, that's where I start to get a little fearful, but I wouldn't lose all hope with, with how much heart this team is playing with right now. I would add one more thing to that, which I think you just alluded to time of possession in our run game has really aided us in these first two games. I think our time of possession was 34 minutes to 26 minutes. So I was looking at it against Duke. And to your point, keeping what is a thinner, in my mind, defense off of the field and giving them time to to you know take breathers because of that run game and the way it slows things down. And you think about heavy run offenses like Army and Navy and those guys it wears you out. Georgia Tech back in the day, it just gasses you up and it eats up the game so much. So I think that's an, an important point. I don't know what that's going to look like in this game, but I think it could be critical. Yeah, we must have success in the run game for that exact reason, and we must have success rushing the passer because of the secondary issues. Those are so essential. It, it goes without saying almost, but like, yeah, keeping the defense off the field and giving our DBs uh, as little time to cover as possible is essential to winning this game. But I do like our chances. So the line is VT plus four and a half right now. I think you said it started around six or five and a half. Okay. And it came down a little today, I think maybe because of the hooker news. Uh, we should have Justin Hamilton back as well. So I like VT plus four and a half. I, I actually sent you a tweet earlier today about how Tom Fernelli was taking tech against the spread and on the money line. So that's encouraging. I always respect Tom's picks, but this just feels like a moment in the season with the way we're playing where I don't care who we're missing right now, you know, short of the entire offensive line or right. short of Khalil Herbert, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I like our chances to win the game because we're just we're just playing together. We're we're as a true team. I think it's as cohesive as it's looked under Fuente. It it may at times when we go back to Isaiah Ford and you know having Cam and that sort of thing. It may with Gerard Evans. It may have looked a little bit more talented, and I say that with everything except for the offensive line because I think that and our running back right now look as incredible as I could have imagined during the off season, but they're playing so much more cohesive. You know, Matheny after that interception, seeing everybody on the sideline, it's like 25 guys all huddled around. <laughs> yeah. He nearly him. got killed on that celebration. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's because it's a guy that probably never would have seen the field and then comes out and has an amazing play. But I do feel like there's a lot of cohesion listening during the press conferences. Everybody's kind of deferring the talk about them to the other players. The running backs are talking about the offensive line. The offensive line's talking about the running backs. Everybody is relying so much on each other in a cohesive way, not as like a crutch type of a way. 
that I, I do think that we have a really good chance in this game. I do feel like it's going to be a close game. No matter yeah. no matter what. This if if we came out and It took six overtimes last year, so it'll probably yeah. it'll probably be close. Yeah. And they've lost what, four in a row against us? There, there's no doubt Fuente's undefeated against UNC. Yeah, there's no doubt that Mac Brown is gonna be getting this team pumped up to come beat Virginia Tech after losing four in a row. Yeah. Uh, the other cool thing I saw on Twitter was Armani Chapman after Matheny made a couple plays, like was tweeting about him. It's like, that's really, that's really cool. Like I know he's, he's probably quarantining watching the game, but like, it's still cool to like pick up your guys when they do something good and they do seem really together. So I, I'm, I can't wait to watch it because I just think it's going to be a fun game. We always tend to play pretty well down in Chapel Hill. Um, like I just said, Fuentes undefeated. We seem to have the teams in North Carolina's number for the most part. So let's take it to them. Let's get this win. Because if we beat UNC, there's a couple of tune-up beat kind of games before we we hit a tough stretch. So it would be really nice to get this victory going into BC and Wake and et cetera. I don't think it could be understated how big the win would be given everything that we've gone through during the first couple of weeks. And I know there was a decent amount of press about us having 22 players out and four coaches, but it's really remarkable when you look back at how many people have been out of this game I and know. not even out of the game, but out leading up to it. And Fuente just during press conferences, just saying, I don't even know how we're going to play and to be able to put together two W's is awesome. If you could able to put a third one in against a top-ranked team, forget whether they're actually eight or they should be 18th, it's a top 25 team, definitely, mm-hmm. would be incredible for us. Maybe. No doubt. Maybe too much. It would be a huge, huge win. Let's get to our picks. Louisville at Georgia Tech. <laughs> this is... Kind of a weird game because I would have thought at the beginning of the season this line would have been huge. Georgia Tech only four and a half point underdogs, making the pick difficult. I, I'm going to go with Louisville. I'm also going to go with Louisville. I, I think Georgia Tech had a high note against FSU. Things have kind of come down to earth a little bit. We've seen what Florida State actually is, so I'm going to pick the same. Yeah. NC State at UVA. UVA nine and a half point favorites after their quasi impressive performance against Clemson. I would say it was a pretty good performance. Clemson is playing really, really well right now. There's no doubt that they are not the number one team. They're one, two or one or two in the nation. So I think it was a good performance by UVA's defense. I think that could cause NC state some trouble in this game, but nine and a half seems like a lot I'm going to go with NC State to cover it to this being a touchdown-type game. NC State looked a lot better with Devin Leary as the starting quarterback last week against Pitt, and they did get that win. And I was telling Robbie, I've made mistakes on Pitt two weeks in a row on the podcast, and this week uh, I'm going to take NC State to cover. I don't feel great about it because of exactly what I said last week. They went to Blacksburg, they went to Pittsburgh, and now they're going to Charlottesville. That's a lot. <laughs> that, that That's tough. Uh, but I'm still going to take them because I think they just looked so much better with Leary back there. I, I think they'll cover nine and a half. 
Duke at Syracuse. Syracuse two and a half point underdogs at home. I don't get that. I'm taking Q's. I'm going to go Duke. I think they're 0-4 now, if I have my numbers correct. Uh, I don't know that this is their best chance, I think, to pull out a win. I don't know what their out-of-conference game is. Maybe they've already played it and I'm mistaken. But I don't know that this team, from what we saw, is going to win no games this year, and this is probably their Mm -hmm. best chance to put up a W early on. I just don't know why. It must be something about the matchup. There's got to be something I'm missing because I would have thought Syracuse would have been favored. They have a win. They beat Georgia Tech. Whatever. I'm taking Syracuse plus two and a half. Pitt at BC. BC is six-point underdogs at home. So Pitt again getting big-time love, this time on the road, uh, after just you know not winning, after being 14-point favorites against NC State. Like I said, I I screw up these pit picks. So uh, someone someone said it like a couple days after the podcast. Like Pitt always plays down to their opponents, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course they do. I know that, but why did I pick Pitt to cover fourteen points against NC State? I'm a moron. <laughs> um, so I actually switched my pick and my pick them, but I lost it on the podcast this week. I, I don't know what to do. I'm going to take Pitt because I just think BC's offense has hit a wall, and I think Pitt. Pitt can hold them to like maybe seven, uh, under 10 points, and I think they can cover six. Yeah, defense travels, so I'm going to go with the Pitt pick. This is the big game, Miami at Clemson. Miami is 14-point underdogs to the Clemson Tigers, which for Clemson, that's a very small spread. (laughs) Um, However, Clemson only beat UVA by 18 if my math is correct. So can Miami keep it four points closer than UVA? I think they can. I'm going Miami. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Clemson despite my, I I don't know. I, I believe Miami is very, very good this year. I just feel as though Clemson needs to start making some statements here and is going to want to. So especially, and they've had, they probably had Dabo like chewing their ass out all week too after like, you know, not de- demolishing UVA. So they could easily come out and cover, but I'm going to take Miami for now. And FSU at Notre Dame. I only put this on here because it's an ACC game. FSU has been so terrible. I'm shocked that the line is only Notre Dame 20 and a half. I got to go Notre Dame here. Nothing has looked good for FSU whatsoever. So maybe they come out and show something, but that that team is in big trouble. Yeah, they went with uh, Rodemaker as the quarterback last week, right? The the freshman. So I'm going to go with Notre Dame too. I I expect them to to run on FSU, even though they've got the five stars on defense still. Um, FSU is – they're – you want to talk about playing with heart. They're playing with zero heart right now. So All the talent I'm in the go world, zero heart is what they've got going on right now. <laughs> and the last game, the Red River shootout, the Red River rivalry, Texas versus Oklahoma. A little less heat on this one this year with what happened last week. Just a little bit. And almost two weeks in a row. I know Texas, what they're one and one. They squeaked one out, and yeah. then they... Got beat in a in a squeak out. 
uh, with TCU. The, both these teams are not playing to any sort of potential that they have. They both need wins badly. Yeah. If Oklahoma loses this game, they're they're already close to being effectively out, but they'll be out. So the game technically seems to lean towards Texas because they, they only have one loss right now, and it was in a good TCU game. TCU pulled it out, and I think TCU might be better than people think in that game. Well, Max Duggan coming back like really gave them a boost. Right. So I'm going to take Texas. And believe me, they are not back, but I'm going to take Texas in this game, and that would be the odds are probably very much against me because that would mean Oklahoma would have to lose three in a row, which yeah. I can't even imagine when the last <laughs> yeah. time that's happened. It's probably been a really, really long time. I, you know, I have on my paper, my pick was Oklahoma. They, they are one and a half point favorites. And I like them because the defense for Texas has been atrocious. The defense for Oklahoma hasn't been good, but it hasn't been super, super bad. So I was going to go, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I'm going to stay with my pick, but I really dislike Spencer Rattler. And partially that's because I watched his QB one. Like he was, he was part of that series where they followed around three high school quarterbacks. Right. And he's just, he was a high school kid. So I don't want to judge him too much, but he was just kind of a punk. And he goes to Oklahoma after this line of like amazing quarterbacks they've had. And everyone has talked about him just as much as just about any prospect we've heard of. And he's the first quarterback to like have two losses in a row. And it's freaking great. I, I love it. I said on Twitter, like he's got an extremely punchable face and he does. <laughs> um, but I think, I think he can get it done versus Texas. Cause Texas's defense is just that bad. Okay. Well, there it is. All right, that will be it for the podcast. I Like I said earlier, I can't wait for the, the game this weekend. And you, you don't have to wait long. It's right after game day is over at, at high noon. A uh, little bit of national TV exposure um, early in the day. It's going to be fun. I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this game, especially Miami-Clemson play that night. Are they the night game, I'm assuming? I would I, I would or... have to assume their game day, but I yeah. you know I don't know. So yep seven seven thirty p.m. Yeah, oh, that's that's what I figured. So the ACC has two really great matchups lined up this weekend: Miami, Clemson, Virginia Tech, UNC. I think people are going to be chomping at the bit to to take a look at what the Hokies and the UNC uh, team is going to do this week. So I'm I'm excited, and there's going to be a lot of people watching. I think. For sure, I, I hope I hope we can get Waller or somebody somebody back in the secondary. Just give me one guy. I just need one guy. It's, it's, uh, watch, I, we'll probably just we'll start the but right before the game. It'd be like Virginia Tech has one less player out than last week. We've gone from twenty two to twenty one, and now they only have twenty players out. <laughs> well, hey, if it's if it's the right player, uh, you know Diablo or Waller or even Tisdale, I think that would make a big difference in this right. game. That's right, I agree. All right, so you can hit us on Twitter. It's at two dvt. Make sure to email us uh, if you want to send us beer like Chris. Thanks again, Chris. Uh, you can email us at 2DVT at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. We are posting a little bit more to that these days. It's at 2DVT. Rate us 
on Apple Podcasts. Get a get our rating up a little bit higher if if you like us. You know, tell someone about it and rate, review, subscribe, as they always say. And until next time, when we are hopefully three and zero, go Hokies. Oh.